From WXXI and the Little Theater, this is Movies in a Microphone. Today we're talking about a special type of movie, wonderful, entertaining, informational documentaries. And in one case, we'll chat about a doc that is just plain nuts. I'm joined by filmmaker and the curator of our One Take Stories Through the Lens series, Linda Maroney. Linda, do you think I'll have a problem talking about docs today? No, my family would probably be really happy I'm here talking about it rather than at home discussing it with them. <laughs> they still have to listen, though. They're required to listen. I'm also joined by a resident scholar and media at St. John Fisher College, Tom Proietti. Tom is also a founding member of the Little Theater Film Society and a past president of our board. It's great to have finally have you on here. Great to be here, Scott. I'm a big fan. <laughs> Thank you. And finally, I'm joined by Todd Sedano. Associate Professor in the, the Department of Media and Communications um, at St. John Fisher as well, and the Director of the Film and Television Studies Program. Did I get all of that right? You I did. realized my handwriting is horrible as I was reading it here. That's why I gave you the business card before I know, we went on there. And I ignored it. It's been a while since of my journalist days, so I was like, I was writing it down slowly. I'm like, oh, my handwriting is so bad. Uh, <laughs> well, I think I got the title right. It's good to have you on here. Thank you for having me. Okay, to start off, we're going to talk about the One Take Docs series. So if someone is not familiar with it, how would you explain that to them, Linda? Um, we've been showing documentaries as part of the One Take series uh, pretty much monthly since 2012, I believe, actually 2013. Um, and it's typically the second Tuesday of the month, and we've just added an encore screening for Saturday matinees. Um, and typically what we do is we show a film that's, you know, might be doing the festival scene at the time or is sort of an unheralded gem, um, something that you probably won't see elsewhere. And then we usually Skype in the director or one of the filmmakers, sometimes the subject of the film. Um, and if not, we create a panel of local experts or people working in the issue um, within Greater Rochester okay. to have a discussion. And if you're listening, you're like, wow, that sounds really cool. I'm interested. Thelittle.org. We have a whole page on the series, the upcoming films, past films. You could check it out there. Uh, speaking of upcoming films, can you tell us a little bit of what people can expect in the next month or two in the series? Sure. I'm glad I brought my notes. Um, <laughs> on Tuesday, September 13th, we're going to screen Life Animated by Academy Award-winning director Roger Ross Williams. Um, it's this really wonderful film about a boy, Owen Susskind, who um, was diagnosed with autism and stopped speaking. Um, but his family found a way to connect with them through Disney animated films and had, were able to access his world that way. And the bulk of the film is also about him growing up and sort of um, starting a life on his own and, and the next steps and the next chapters for him of independence. Okay. Now, I know, Linda, I asked you this yesterday, so I know the answer, but have either of you guys read the book um, that Life Animated is based on? By I, no, I, I have not, but I, you know, the trailer, yeah. and I've seen part of the document, but there's about 40 minutes of the doc is on YouTube. It might and, be. I don't know. I yeah, haven't seen and, it. And, yeah. it's, and I've also heard uh, Suskind interviewed on NPR and, and, and know kind of, you know, quite a bit about the backstory. You know, so watching the trailer last night and thinking about it, like, I, it's simply one of those things that I know is going to blow me away. I have not. I don't know there's a book. Yeah, it was based on a book. Actually, I wasn't <laughs> yeah. fami familiar with it either. And my sister was like, oh, I love the book. And she's uh, she's a speech pathology major. And she's really into um, that type of subject. So she's like, I'm re really interested in it. Um, and I hadn't heard much of the story until I watched the trailer either. And I just kind of watched it. And it looks... It just looks so like uplifting, but also very whimsical the way the right. animation is done. Um, it, it looks very good. It's really well done, and there's um, the director is is really wonderful, and he does a lot of films about people that are sort of on the outside trying to gain access to this world of ours uh, and, and feel part of it. Um, and Owen is really wonderful. And his older brother, who's not autistic, it's like, what is his role? You know, there's a moment not to give everything away, but right. he talks in the film says, well, you know, one day my parents are going to pass away and it's up to me to look after him and, and what pressure that must be on him as well. And that's probably not something that's typically discussed in these types of movies. It's strictly um, the person in it. Mm -hmm. And now, if I can say something mm -hmm. just about the, the series that Linda has put together, uh, yeah, I'm not saying this because she's my friend and a colleague from St. John Fisher. And I mean, it's really been consistently so good. And my wife and I travel a lot. We have family in Massachusetts, family in Colorado, and we do some other traveling. And one of the few things I really don't like about leaving Rochester is I frequently miss the documentary series. And it's not just 
the fact that they're great documentaries, but it's the whole ambiance that you've created that's, that's a learning experience, kind of like what, what we did with, uh, with Nuts. I mean, I, I thought my wife and I would leave the theater after seeing Nuts, but you brought on the director and the, the writer, producer, director, you know, Penny, and she was fantastic. It was like, it was as good as the, the documentary itself. You know, those those conversations after the films add so much more to the whole experience yeah. to understand what went into making the film. I mean, she said it took eight years. I had no idea. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, typically it takes... Well, she's at seven and a half. Oh, so. well. Okay. And, and also, I mean, the fact that there were, what, five different animators who did... I think it was... Diff- I think that was seven. Seven um, or whatever. Yeah. It was yeah. Just spectacular the way this thing was pieced together and made into a, a single entity that worked incredibly well on a story that I've been teaching in classes for years. And so to backtrack, Nuts is the film we uh, we just showed. Well, as of this is being recorded, it was yesterday. Um, there is another uh, showing coming up Saturday, August 13th at 1, um, which will hopefully will be very soon when you're listening to this. So hopefully you'll be able to check the little.org, watch the trailer, go to go and see it. Yes, please uh, do go. But it's do very, go see it. It speaks to the diversity of this series. Um, yeah. it's, it's a lot different story than the one you just explained for Life Animated. So, yeah, Linda, do you want to give us a quick rundown of, of Nuts? It's a quite interesting story. And obviously you guys can jump in because you know the, the story as well. I don't know. I almost want to hear Tom's uh, you know, explanation <laughs> of it since he taught this, this in his class. Well, you know, th- what happened to me was, uh, you know, I, I was an undergraduate chemistry major. So when I went into mass communication, I had a professor the first semester at grad school. His name was John Ryder, and he's still alive. He's 92 years old, and he's a great guy. And one of his great passions in life was John R. Brinkley. And the second class that we were in, I, I was thinking about how I wasted my life in, sitting in chemistry classes because he started telling the story of John R. Brinkley. And I had no idea that this character who was a demagogue, and he was a charlatan, and he was one of the first radio evangelists, and he also, you know, kind of invented the infomercial, and and then created this massive industry in little Milford, Kansas, and then he gets he runs for governor, he gets thrown out by the FRC, you know, the the precursor to the Federal Communications Commission. Uh, the story to me was just ri- so riveting, and I was telling Linda last night that my grandfather, who was a really important presence in my life, my mother's dad, I'll never forget saying to him, asking my grandfather, I said, do you ever hear of a guy named Dr. John R. Brinkley? He goes, that was one really brilliant man. (laughs) And I said, how did you know about him? And he said, you could hear him on KFKB and Kansas folks know best. And my grandfather knew all all the, the characteristics of John R. Brinkley. He didn't know the backstory. He didn't know that this guy was a charlatan. Right. And actually, my grandfather said, you know, when he, he had the election stolen from him, which pretty which much was true. true, and that you know, he was elected governor of, of Kansas, and then they stole the election from him. And then he knew about the That the could radio. never happen today. <laughs> oh, please. But it was like That's he didn't even, even care. <laughs> but they were saying he didn't happen. care. They're like, well, you don't make any money as governor, and he's, he's making yeah. a lot of money uh, – with these various, uh, there were cons. I mean, he was basically a con. He was a charlatan. Um, and actually, it's funny, as Penny Lane said, she got the idea from this. Uh, she was looking through a library. It was, where was it, where was it from? It was uh, from Troy. New, yes, Troy, Troy, New York. The library's uh, recommendations. Yeah, it was library. one of the recommendations. It was a book called Charlatan, um, and it was all about Brinkley. Yes. And it told his story, which, by the way, his middle name's Romulus, yeah. which I love. I just his love actually, His name. real name was Richard. But he changed it to Romulus because, you know, it kind of fit. Because he could. And, okay. And, and I saw, I saw one. Of the, <laughs> all through the documentary, there are you know, images of the Capitoline wolf, which right. is the story of Romulus and Remus from, you know, from Greek or Roman mythology. And, you know, so I think you had to go pretty deep into that. But I knew, that, you know, about the transition that. See, I didn't, because there was a newspaper clip that said Richard. I'm like, that's not right. Yeah, His middle name's was, Romulus. That, I know this. <laughs> it was his given name. <laughs> I kid it now. But anyway, the, the, the name of the movie, Nuts, comes from, uh, there's a guy, I forget the gentleman's <laughs> name, but uh, he, he wanted, he was complaining about impotence. Right. And so this cure for impotence that he came up with was to uh, implant uh, goat glands mm-hmm. into into the genitalia, um, which obviously it was funny. Genitalia it, of men. Yes. Yeah, yes. Okay. Let's, <laughs> let's be the, clear about that. <laughs> yeah. Not into goats. <laughs> Not into no, goats, it's coming from no, the they goat. They actually stole them from the goat. It's coming from the goat to the man. Yeah. Um, it, obviously, this is something that did not work, um, but a lot of people thought it did. And there was. Well, if you, if you think about the time, the time is the you know, late 1920s, early 1930s. 
no one ever talked openly about erectile dysfunction. You know, we're we've you know we're now in an age mm-hmm. where you know my ten and twelve year old granddaughters talk openly about Viagra and Cialis, and they, they you know they know what it's about. But here we you know here we were in the nineteen twenties and nineteen thirties. No one talked about that topic. It was an untouchable, let alone talk about it on the radio. And then to have a few people have the placebo effect take place where they could become, you know, tell their neighbor and say, you know, it worked for me. And, you know, most people in medicine will tell you the placebo effect is incredibly powerful. So, you know, John R. Brinkley probably never really actually performed any operations. He put people under and then probably didn't do much of anything, you know, because the the operation was meaningless. That was one of the reasons why it was so important that he became, that he was able to sell it as a drug because the pharmacy business was far more lucrative and it was easy to mail things out and he was making, I mean, literally making millions. How did did he word the the millions he was making? Uh, 1,100 million. Thousand. (laughs) 1,100,000. Well, because it was a scene where they go, like no doctor makes over a million dollars. So he was trying to prove that it's like this is how he doesn't make a million. Like, well, wouldn't most people call that $1.1 million? (laughs) Uh, Which was a clever bit of dialogue. And I remember when I was watching it, I'm like, wow, whoever wrote this is really good. And then again, in the in the interview with Penny Lane, she's like, well, this is all from transcripts. Like, this actually happened. In, and not from court, court transcripts, though. The court transcripts had been lost or somebody buried them. They were from AMA transcripts because the AMA, which also was and maybe still is in some people's minds, a very sketchy organization, uh, they had a huge stake in making sure that this guy didn't become legitimate. You know, and so for the conspiracy theorists out there, you know, this this documentary f- feeds right into that, thinking, oh, the AMA actually tried to put John R. Brinkley out of business because he hurt their income flow, and he could have hurt their income flow. You know, think about how big a business erectile dysfunction is today. And then what he was able to do is make a whole bunch of other claims as well that it that it cured psoriasis and it cured a whole bunch of you know a whole bunch of absolutely outrageous claims. But his prescription business after he had signed on a radio station in Mexico at 1 million watts, which could, literally could be heard almost around the world. <laughs> uh, you know, he, his, his prescription business was absolutely enormous. I mean, he was making hundreds of millions of dollars over the course of many years. Yeah. I mean, he was a, a pioneer in many ways, which is, uh, you know, what they stated in the movie. And it's funny, as I, I had mentioned, I'm like, of course, this didn't work, this operation um, right. for the impotence. But then even uh, when Penny Lane again was doing the interview, she had mentioned, she's like, oh, I was telling this story to people. And, like, and people had asked her, oh, wait, did that work? Right. Um, which, yeah, you don't, we, even today, and she's like, she knew it didn't because she read a book that was called Charlatan. Obviously, right. it was about how it didn't work and how he was a con man. But uh, it, yeah, it's, it's just funny when you like it, people aren't medical experts. I mean, when you think of, when you really think about it, it's like, of course, that's that's not going to work. But I, I could see it's like you want to believe you want to believe that'll work. You'll listen to someone, especially if he's broadcasting across the radio. Right. Um, he's pioneer. He's talking like you said, he's talking about stuff that was previously taboo it was, and ad- now it's, co- yeah. was completely taboo and you know and e- even most of my lifetime it wasn't until the late 1980s and early 1990s that you could run an ad like viagra a viagra ad and when they first came on you were you weren't even quite sure what they were advertising mm. it was all done in code i mean it, it had to be done that way now it's pretty you know it's pretty open and obvious you know what it's about and and, and the term erectile dysfunction has yeah to ed be, right right only a couple of decades old maximum. Well, right? you know, in the medical community, it probably it probably was there, but it was not the kind of thing. You know, it's kind of like, you know, we haven't gotten to the point yet where doctors advertise, but, you know, years ago, lawyers could not advertise in the United States. You know, it was part of the broadcast code. It wasn't part of the law. It was just part of the broadcast code. Think of what's happened now with Salino and Barnes and William mm-hmm. Matar and, the, you know, the, the most memorable ads. We all ads. know those jingles. Yes, we do. <laughs> I mean, they buy, you know, Salino and Barnes is truly one of the largest uh, franchise operations in North America because they're also in Canada and they're now moving into Mexico and they're in every major city in the United States. But that was, you know, that, again, there's another significant a little twist that took place in the in uh, in our cultural mores. So just think if John R. Brinkley was around today, where would he be? He'd be Donald Trump. <laughs> no, and I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm sitting yeah. here seriously. Yeah, I know. I, you know, I, I well, you I, use the word I, demagogue and charlatan. So yeah, yeah. Well, and he's very in. much like Donald Trump. I mean, he, he what he did is he put his life on the air, and you know, he, Franklin Roosevelt borrowed the concept for the fireside chat 
from John R. Brinkley because oh, on for Sunday, Sunday nights. Yes, Sunday nights. John R. Brinkley started these in like in 1928, and he had hundreds of thousands of people listening to him. And Franklin Roosevelt took notes and said, boy, if I ever become president, that's something I'm going to do. And what he did is he tried, first off, he tried to go head to head against John R. Brinkley. He couldn't win. So Roosevelt actually went on the air at seven. Brinkley went on the air at eight because he knew he couldn't, he could not beat John R. Brinkley because his audience was already there. But Roosevelt was, to some people, a charlatan as well, because he knew how to use the media in that kind of, you hmm. know, the similar kind of fashion. Donald Trump is doing exactly the same thing. I think over the last 15 months, what we've seen, and I'll defer some of this to Todd and Linda as well, but I think we've seen this guy hijack not just the political party, but hijack the media. And the media don't know how to handle him. Is he a politician or an entertainer? And I think yesterday, finally, the New York Times finally said, you know what, we, maybe we should just be covering him as, as an entertainer because as a politician, he's a disaster. Mm-hmm. But the other side of that is, as a politician, he's, all, yeah, it's, he's so outrageous is that he's almost fun. Scary fun, yeah. but fun. <laughs> but I, you know, I'll defer to these two and let, let them pick up on that concept. Uh, they're, well, not gonna, they're not going to say No, anything. I'm not going to jump down that Because uh, if hole. Trump becomes a president, he, they're going to kill me first. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're first I mean, that's what's going to happen. They're going to get me. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. funny. It's a comparison was brought up in, in our Q&A, too. And it's, I mean, it, it's, you know, it's apt, I feel, in some ways. Again, the little has no political view, so no. we'll make sure to mention that. Um, Except but it, we show all these liberal documentaries. <laughs> well, I hope there's someone out there that's working on the Donald Trump documentary as we speak. Can you imagine, you know, just, I've, I've been saying this all along, and I think you and I even talked about this a year ago, thinking, you know, this is the Dixie chick shut up and sing. Mm-hmm. You know, Penny, or what's her name, Barbara Koppel, right. actually was hired by Lipton <laughs> to follow the Dixie chicks around on their Top of the World tour. And in the middle of, you know, just as they're launching the tour, Natalie Maines in London says, I'm embarrassed that the president of the United States is from Texas. And everything changed. You know, the documentary became truly one of the most powerful documentaries I think ever made, especially about freedom of speech and the price that it, that it has. But yeah, Linda, go, I mean, you're a documentary filmmaker. Would Imagine yourself following the Trump yeah, you know, it, it depends what kind of access you could get to right. him, you know, and I can't imagine, I mean, I'm sure there's a wall around him that he's not ready to break down. You know, I don't think you'd get Wiener access, you know, for this <laughs> Yeah, talk a little bit about, talk well, a little bit about Wiener. Before yeah. you do that, though, um, yeah. the circus on Showtime, they have incredible unprecedented access, right? Um, right. Heilemann and, um, I can't think of the other guy, it starts with an uh, H. We can um, fact check it and dub yeah, it in later. Dub it. We can Thank you. <laughs> have me record this in ADR later. <laughs> um, but that's terrific. These guys have incredible access to Trump. It's as soon as he exits a speaking engagement, they are on the airplane with him, one camera on him, and they talk. Oh, I have to see this. Oh, I it's, seen it, it. It'll take your breath away. And it there, really there does. are 17 half-hour episodes already on Showtime anytime, the app, if you are okay. interested. Yep. Um, and it'll take your breath away. It'll take your afternoon away. Yeah, uh, it will, it will take your... You'll binge on that. With this product placement, maybe Showtime will like, give it to us for free, maybe? I don't know. We'll, we'll <laughs> well, see. You know, that's one of the things, you know, like every once in a while I send Linda a note and say, is there any way we could get this documentary I and know, bring it? In I get... know, and, and I it... think that's part, I mean, it's not all documentaries, but I really feel like, you know, sometimes people wouldn't believe this if you wrote it as a story, right. you know, right. and, and it's real life stuff. And that's what's so powerful in so many of these films. That so you're just... it, Give us your assessment of Wiener because I know what I know what mine was, and explain explain Wiener first. Hard to make not make a joke after that. <laughs> <laughs> he set you up there, especially, I know. especially in the middle of our ED discussion. <laughs> and I'm the only woman here. And I will mention though, we did do a podcast on Wiener too, so you guys can check that out. Okay. Oh, that's right. There is. We'll I'm, I'm sneaking in that plug, and it's very good. I know nuts and Wiener. We have to broaden <laughs> our conversation here. <laughs> Well, we did for the Wiener one. We did have uh, Veronica Volkan, who actually covered that election, which was yep. very interesting to hear uh, her perspective. And then we had Megan Mack, who produces Connections. So obviously, she had very good thoughts as well. So it, if you listen to Linda's thoughts and listen to this podcast, you can go and listen to that SoundCloud. But if there's iTunes. a if there's a word cloud of this of this conversation among the four of us, you would see Wiener, Ed, and Nuts. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> which means our target audience is thirteen year old boys. That's right. Uh, which happens to be the target audience. So there we go. Linda's like, oh, man, what did I get into? She's never coming back on. She's a mom. I'm a mom. I have 11-year-old boys. I... Yes, I know the laughter that surrounds this sort of stuff. It's... uh, But, you know, back to... And apparently it doesn't end. No, it never goes away. (laughs) I'm 70 years old. It doesn't go away. ED jokes forever. Yeah. 
But, you know, back to Wiener, your take on on Wiener as a documentary. Yeah, you know, I really enjoyed it. Me too. You know, I, I think it was really well done. And you think, you know, when I watch docs, I think about, well, what would it be like if I was making this film? And and th- when things change and, you know, unbelievable, like, oh, we're still filming. You know, they haven't because some projects, you know, the subjects sort of shut down and say, OK, that's it. I need a break um, or you know, that's it. For every movie that's made, there's probably a bunch of movies that don't get finished because of things that that involve access and funding and whatnot. But but I thought it was uh, incredibly well done and uh, and you know quite entertaining. Yes, and yeah. I, you know, uh, the same same here. I I kept thinking, how could he not be smart enough to say turn off the camera right. at this point? And instead, what he did is played to the camera. Which you know, that's a documentary filmmaker's dream. It's like it's I great. can't believe you're doing that. And I just think that speaks a lot to him about his personality, well, it does. who he is. Um, well, and- also I remember talking. I, I represented mm-hmm. the Little Theater in 2006 at Chautauqua, and we had a panel discussion on the future of documentaries and independent films mm-hmm. because at that time we thought we thought places like the Little would be gone. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were convinced mm-hmm. that places like The Little would be gone. We were also convinced that documentaries were going to go away. Oh, Just know, think about that, 2006. You naysayers. Well, we, you know, <laughs> the problem was we saw all these other yeah. things taking – and YouTube was exploding, but it, and it was exploding in a way where you know, individuals like the four of us in this room could produce our documentaries. So why would we have, you know, a massively funded documentary why, bo- why bother? It's gonna, you know, everything's going to be documented. Well, it turned out it didn't work out that way. Uh, you know, but you know, back to uh, the D- Dixie Chicks shut up and sing. Barbara Koppel said to me, if it wasn't for Natalie Maines, the lead singer for the Dixie Chicks, she said 90% of the content of that single documentary would not have ever taken place. Mm-hmm. She said every time they were, she was ready to turn off the mic, Natalie would say something else, and the two the other the two sisters would look at her and you know be going, no, don't say any, don't say anything more. And Natalie would just say more and more and dig in deeper and deeper, and it turned out to be probably the best thing that ever happened. Well, I think um, at one point it was taboo to use the word casting for documentaries, but it's not anymore. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You, Talk, you say definitely, more about you know, when I'm, you have an idea for, say, a subject or say you want to do a social issue film on whatever it is, you know, you spend time let's, casting let's, let's for take it, a thing like figuring che- out your cheating, subjects. Cheating in college. That would never happen. <laughs> <laughs> no one does that. No, but you spend time. So and you would actually cast? Absolutely. Well, not unlike, you know, hoop. Hoop Dreams. Right. They did. Ca- they actually did a casting call for Hoop Dreams and found exactly that. You're right. They did, right. And they and it, but it used to be taboo to use a word like that with documentary, and wow. it's not anymore. You know. Well, there must have been casting for nuts, right? At least for voice. Actors, well, right? well, or, yeah. yeah. I mean, they use actors yeah. and right. stuff like that. But I'm talking about your your subjects for a documentary. You know, mm-hmm. if if um, you know whatever it is, and usually, um, you know, I'm just thinking about social issue stuff because you have an idea for a story that you want to do but how do you tell that story and and how do you find compelling characters to convey that that'll emotionally hit the viewers in a certain way that they can you know um, feel a connection to um, so often you cast for it and you might spend a decent amount of time looking for the people that will convey the story that you want not necessarily hopefully not not your preconceived ideas right, not fully in a, not in a rigged way but in right. a way mm-hmm. that'll have an emotional impact for the audience mm-hmm. i mean it makes sense for a way i mean you always want to tell your story the vision the best way possible and if that's the way to do it i mean i, I think that makes sense to it's me ma- it's <laughs> maximum impact yeah. exactly what, and linda just thinking about the documentary series i mean you've been doing this now since 2012 is there one single film that jumps out one single documentary that jumps out as being the my favorite? Your favorite or no, the most? Oh, they're may- all my kids. <laughs> or maybe the most powerful, or maybe the one that you that surprised you. <laughs> it was you your favorite most. child as well. Yeah, I know. Well, I could tell you that <laughs> really easily. We- <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know, they don't because um, with the series, I've really, really spent time about thinking of, of, you know, setting a dinner party, right? And so I have all these different types of dishes. So I have really poetic and experimental docs, and I have your glossy, um, big budget social issue, and I have smaller films that are really personal. Um, so, you know, I don't want to showcase just one style of documentaries, but but a beautiful array of all that is being made today. I mean, 
the films that are being made are incredible. You know, they're, you know, I, people have heard me say this before, but once upon a time, docs were thought of as like the vegetables at the dinner table. Like, I know I'm supposed to eat it. It's going to make me smarter, but I have to work at it, you know, and it's not that anymore. They're thrilling. They're exciting. They're, you know, they're funny. Yeah. Michael Moore. They're lucrative. Right. Well, not for everyone, but for for some of them. (laughs) Michael Moore manages to make money. Yeah, he does. There's a few others who who do. Yeah, they do. And, you know, most of them, you know, teach or, you know, make right. commercials on the side or, you know, do other things as well to, to do the stuff. But, um, but and you there teach, is a Linda. Select, so I you do. know, you see students when you say the word documentary, they get that glazed look in their eyes like this is fourth grade social studies class and oh boy, what are we watching? I know. Well, and that's then, one of the things that happened with the class that I gave to Linda, which yeah. was actually given to me by Such Jeremy Sarakin, yeah. who's the chair of our department. Uh, Jeremy started the documentary class as an experience class and he said, he originally he said to me, he said, well, the only reason it fills up is because it fills a fu- fulfills a requirement, a P3, I think. And, yep. And he said, and they all figure they're going to come and just it's watch a movie. easy film class. Easy film class. Nope. I took that no class. <laughs> my senior you, year. Yeah, okay. I, liked it, I took it my senior year, and there was a lot of freshmen. Um, and I wish I took the next stage of it. So we had, it was actually on, we had to come up with an idea for our own documentary yes. and pitch yep. it. Mm-hmm. And I came yep. up it's with an idea, called, the movie would be called Pants on Fire, and it would examine lying which I thought was a very good topic. I pitched it quite well. So I came in. I remember it was like a rainy, awful day. I didn't have a job lined up after college. And I gave my intro. I'm like, oh, it's a sunny, perfect day. And I can't wait to start my job. And then I'm like, did you guys see what I did there? I lied. And then I explained why I wanted to do it. But we didn't actually, that's all we did. We did a pitch. So like I could, I could come up by, with that. By the way, whatever. Did, you, did you notice Linda's taking notes? And this may, maybe no, but my eyes are much bigger. <laughs> yeah, <Ooh. laughs> Isn't that a good name for it though? Pants on fire. Although I think there is something called pants on fire. I, I think there's a, a, there's a book just recently yeah. released about how almost all of us lie at least two times a day. Well, I see, think. that's what to me. Well, this is why I like docs. It, it's such an interesting topic, and there's endless amount of topics like that out there. But like everyone lies. It's like what. You know, how can you tell if someone's lying? Why do they lie? The right. psychology behind I mean, you could make a whole series behind it, probably. Um, Get Morgan Spurlock on it. I was just going to say Morgan Spurlock. <laughs> yeah. It'll be on Stars or uh, maybe on C- I guess he's, he's up, up to right. CNN now, yeah. which, which means he's being paid very well. Right. So He's, he's eating those, well. He's, he's eating well. He's not at McDonald's anymore. Right? <laughs> but this is why I say that documentaries are lucrative also. This is such a, a great paradigm shift for the filmmakers, right. right? They have different platforms through which they can tell their stories. Um, television is such a great place for them Absolutely. now. Absolutely. Yeah. Netflix Absolutely. is such a great place for them yeah. to, to be showing their films. Well, New York Times Opdocs, too. You know, yes. there's more and more of it on different platforms. And Amazon. Right. The Amazon docs. You know, it's it's astonishing to me. Netflix is putting a lot Netflix of money into Netflix is going like yeah, crazy. Docs, too. I mean, but then sto- I can't get them for the theater. They won't share. They just want it straight to Netflix. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that, too. And they don't want to do theatrical at no, all. they don't need it. Which seems to me doesn't make any sense. You would think that if they showed that side of themselves in their marketing, that they may pick up new subscribers, especially if, you know, the people who, t- who watch they, documentaries. Who they would, probably think of it as the legacy medium right. and who, who right. goes to a oh, yeah, theater yeah. Right, to right. watch Netflix. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But Linda, who, in your mind, and maybe Scott, because you do a lot, some of the programming, who is the documentary film watcher? Who is the per- is it a fair a fair to come up with a, a profile? You know, I, I think there's some people that I see come month after month. Um, there's some people that definitely love social issues. So mm-hmm. the the deeper it is, the more you might cry. Um, they're there for those movies. Um, there's some that are you know it depends what the subject matter is. You know, um, like we I did a dinosaur documentary and it did okay and then I showed one on particle physics and we were turning people away like they were just I'm like really you know sometimes you just don't yeah was fabulous it was it was a great film I know but you just never know sometimes uh the things that seem but I don't know that there is a profile um you know I think there are a lot of younger people that are into them you know it's like teaching the class now um the well, you 30, fill, it fills up every it semester. It fills up every semester. Yeah. And everyone comes in knowing at least a few of the 30 for 30s. You know, the ESPN oh, right, people right. love those. Um, Ask the college student, though, yeah. do, do they qualify that as a documentary? It's like, no, it's a 30 for 30. Yeah, some <laughs> of them do, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, right. at the midterm now is they have to pick a film of their own and watch it themselves and, and do a whole larger paper uh, that for a film that we haven't discussed in class or watched together. And there was a student one 
not last semester, the semester before, that wanted to do like Russia's scariest prisons. And I'm like, well, I don't know that that really qualifies. (laughs) (laughs) I had to have her rethink that one. But um, yeah, I think their their definition of documentaries for, you know, younger millennials is is much broader in certain ways. Yeah. I, I think it's an audience that could evolve. And I, like I said, I wasn't huge into docs. And it's not that I thought they were boring or anything. I just didn't watch a lot of them. But this this series, this one take doc series, really does like expand your view. Because Bring it's them really, all to I me. I mean, I was, you know, <laughs> well, I, it's, a, it's an eye, it's eye opening because it's because the thing that fascinates me about this is it's it's an attraction. And it's it's already a brand inside the little, and it's something that you know, like my wife and I, we look forward to. Many people the, look forward. Yeah, to the it. documentary yeah. series is really important. And like, if you were to forget to mention the documentary, you, which you you haven't mm-hmm. done, but I'm sure you know all hell would break loose. You'd be like, "What's going on? Scott? Yeah, what's, what's going on? What's yeah, what's what's <laughs> happening here?" But yeah, you know, I'm thinking back to the the history of the documentary in American television. One of the things that really got me thinking about a career in in TV was a, a, one of the greatest documentaries ever called Harvest of Shame. Sure, yeah. Yep. Fred Friendly and Edward R. Murrow. And I, my dad was a huge documentary fan, and he sat down his three sons on Thanksgiving Eve 1960 to watch a documentary about migrant workers. I didn't know. I, I didn't even know there was any such thing mm. as a migrant worker. And I, I sat there at the end of the program, and I looked at my dad. My dad said, what would you think? And I said, I think I want to be Edward R. Murrow. Uh, I wanted to be the person who went out and uncovered the injustices that I saw in this film. And then, you know, the documentaries have kind of gone up and gone down and gone yeah. up and gone down. And, and now I think we're back into a major boom that's just fantastic. Yeah. And this is why I bring up the financial aspects of yeah. it. Because if you're going to talk about something like Harvest of Shame, you have to talk about, well, who's footing the bill for something right. like this, right? And wasn't it Friendly and Murrow who were taking on the expenses on their own. Well, they, they, they took not necessarily production expenses, but you know, like Fred Friendly actually took out full-page ads in the, in the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, the Washington Post, because CBS didn't want to promote them because the National Farm Bureau said all of our members are not going to, they're going to stop advertising. There would be boycotts and, and whatnot. And it turned out it had one of the biggest audiences in American history. It was like 60 million people watching it on Thanksgiving Eve. And it really did change a lot of the, you know, the, the, the legal background mm-hmm. for what's going on with migrants. Not everything, but, uh, but some of it. Yeah, I think what appeals to me about the doc is, you know, I was a journalism major. I wrote for a newspaper, worked for a TV station. So from the journalist aspect, it is kind of like that. It's a long form storytelling. You get to learn a lot. Uh, most of them try you try to be unbiased, although sometimes sometimes that bias. Every just, doc like, has yeah. a point of view. Yeah, it has and to sometimes have it's very obvious, and sometimes it's not quite as obvious. Right. But they all do. Mm-hmm. And, and speak- well, Linda's. Can you talk a little bit about your the, the one you're going to be releasing soon? Um, Turn the Page is an hour-long documentary about a literacy program at Ontario County Jail um, for incarcerated parents and their children on the outside. But it's also broader than that. It's it's the bigger issue then. It starts there, but it's also the bigger issue. Uh, Going back to to funding again, though, that you were mentioning and financing, I'm also producing a documentary. Well, we just finished on the Dalai Lama. And the director of that, Mickey Lemley, uh, when he talks to young aspiring film students that want to become documentarians when they grow up and they ask him, well, what do I do? And his first answer is always marry rich. (laughs) (laughs) It's It's a great suggestion, too. Well, it's interesting, too. One of the, the one take we had was it may or april the uh um how do you how to like go over the world the climate change doc like that one it was from uh josh fox who directed gasland uh, previously um which that was an hbo one and i was watching that and the budget for that movie must have been I- i'm speculating but it must have been quite large i mean they traveled across the world oh, yeah. hbo it, put yeah, yeah some yeah, hbo money puts that. a lot of money in, into those kinds of docs yeah so i mean there's there's you know, if, if you're in the right situation, there it's, it could be lucrative, or you can have the money to. Do, I mean, I would just like there was other things too. Like he had to go, he had all these toys. Like they were going across the world. Uh, they licensed a Beatles song right, right. in the beginning, yep. um, so stuff like that. And that was another that was another quite interesting one. Um, 
Yeah, it, it was. Which it against, was a, great, a great turnout. For which again speaks to the diversity. That was just a couple of months ago. That was about climate change. Right. You know, we have Nuts, which is on this uh, kind of eccentric, crazy character, Brinkley, which again, I, I'm surprised no one had made a movie out of him previously. Uh, so or, was I. I was actually uh, maybe the, I don't think they had, or ha- maybe there is one out there somewhere, but I think that's what Penny Lane was saying, that there. That she was, she was shocked that there wasn't. Yeah. I mean, it, he right. seemed like a Coen Brothers character to me. Yes. He like, I, I felt like a great description. <laughs> By the way, you know, as I've. When you told me this film was coming, and then Scott told me about it, and and t- we were talking about the podcast, I felt like a failure because I've had this story. Well, Tom. I had this story sitting inside me forever, mm. and I probably should have been the one to do it. But I'm glad she did, and I'm glad she did it the way she did because I never would have thought about that angle of of integrating, you know, the ir- original footage, a lot of sound, and then having f- seven different animators do. Wow, what a brilliant way to execute. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, you, you creative people are that way. <laughs> I'm not one of those. I would not, I would not, you know, I would even. You would have made a different film. A much different right. film. It would have bored you right You're selling that. yourself yeah. short, though. You're very well, creative as well. I am short. So it's, <laughs> it's something I can't. No, I, I, I just, I don't think I'm capable of that kind of creative thinking. I'm, that, I'm, crea- I'm capable of thinking we should do a John R. Brinkley documentary. And then I would turn it over to somebody like Linda or Todd. So then say, you could be a good producer. That's well, what producer, I was thinking. Exactly. When you say marry rich, yeah. we're yeah. talking about you. Right. You're the other end of that <laughs> equation. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's funny. She made she made it look easy with that movie, the way it was done. It yeah. seemed seamless. It seemed easy. And then it's she's just, like, it took seven and a half years to do that takes a lot yeah. of time. Yeah. You, know? you know, she's talked about, because that's what I, you know, editing long form documentaries it's not unheard of for three years, oh, you know, yeah. for a piece like that. And she, I asked her, you know, how was that process? She goes, well, we pretty much started really early on and was just working on the edit all the way through as well. So often, you know, doing that, carving that architecture for the film just takes a long time. Yeah. Can you – And the fatigue. Sorry, you're, you're the asking fatigue the questions. Questions. No, 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 go ahead. I know, I know free, we all free, want to ask questions. Free <laughs> conversation here. <laughs> go ahead. I'm wondering how um, the visual aesthetic comes to fruition in a lot of these documentaries. Like you're watching a film and it just seems like it's people behaving and then all of a sudden it becomes animated. Then it becomes, oh, wow, that must have cost a lot of money to get that kind of editing in, inscribed in the film. Who determines um, those those aesthetic decisions? You know, I, I think the director question. wants yeah. to always do that. And it depends on how much money they have to do um, to do different things um, that, you know, form follows funding. Yeah. We typically say. <laughs> right. um, so it depends on how much. It, I mean, it depends on also what the story and what the story calls for. I mean, animation worked perfectly in, in Nuts because mm-hmm. it was so almost like a myth you were being told. Right. Um, and it was like a storybook. Um, so it op- the way it opened up. Um, and she actually did use the book. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Brilliantly used you know, the book. One of my pet peeves when it comes to biopics is that the subject is fascinating, but the film about the subject is absolutely boring. You know, that the form doesn't match the subject. That uh, that drives me crazy. Um, but that's my own issue. What springs to mind? Oh, well, you know, I probably shouldn't say. Maybe offline. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I agree. About that whole I thing. might need to book their next film. <laughs> oh, that's true. Fair okay. enough. Yeah. Well, what I was going to add was, if we're selling anybody on nuts here, Saturday, August 13th, yes. it is playing once again at the Little Theater. Uh, one o'clock is the time. Uh, I would try to get there early. Hopefully, there will be a lot of people lining up to see it. No meatball truck, though. No, yeah, we had the meatball truck there this time. <laughs> it was wonderful. A lot of people were eating the meatballs like, the oh, meatball I get what truck. you did there. <laughs> the meatballs are very good. I thought it complimented it really well. Really good. Yeah. Um, it was, yeah, the Meatball Truck Co. So if you guys are in Rochester listening and you see them, we all, I think, recommend them. I'm trying to get them to send us free meatballs so you guys can chime in with praise for them <laughs> anytime now. Um, but, yeah, it's playing. You can get your tickets uh, ahead of time at thelittle.org. Um, I believe tickets for uh, maybe Life Animated might be. I don't know if they're um, up yet. I don't know if they're up at this point either. Uh, you could check. I know that the page is up there. The trailer for it is up if you want. Um, did you want to talk about the film coming in October too, or do, is that too early? The one take for October. Um, I'm I'm happy to. You. It's up to you. Oh yes, please go. It, it's another one that again is diverse and different. Um, I, I wanted to make sure that we had it booked. I thought we did. I just yeah, yeah. To oh, no, no. Sure. Yeah. We're, we're booked. I, I think yeah. I still have to book November and December for the year, but then um, for the rest of the year. But yeah, October. So that is the fourth, uh, and it's Camera Person by Kirsten Johnson, who and it premiered at Sundance as well. And she's this amazing um, cinematographer and a woman, which is a rare, rare, rare breed in the industry. Um, I think there was actually a really – I read a piece in The Times, I think, the other day about – 
women uh, cinematographers, yes, but it was. was all narrative work. Right. But um, but she has shot all these amazing documentaries, and she takes all of the footage and edits it in a way to give you almost this personal memoir. So there's moments that you're seeing that were included in other people's films, but then it's she's talking to her fixer off screen, she's talking to the subject, and you know pieces run long so you get the whole experiences if you're really there there's also footage of her mother who uh, i believe has had alzheimer's and picture and, you know footage of her kids and so it's like her home life in addition to this you know this crazy life that she's filming all these images across the world uh, and it's put together in this really really compelling and, and and beautiful way so i really encourage you to see that one as well Again, it's such a great series. It's so, like, each movie is different. You learn something. You do a different story. Um, I think even one of my favorite one takes of the year was the January one in transit. Yeah. In transit, excuse me, um, which was literally, it was just, what was the what was the train again? It was the one in the, it was, like, one of the longest ones that goes Yeah, it was country, Amtrak. You know? I forget um, what it was called yeah, right now. The name. Yeah. But it basically, it was just different sto- the stories of people on the train. They just went on the train and spoke with different people. Uh, so it was like a simple concept. It was so, so well done and the stories were incredible and it was just so interesting to hear from a diverse set of people and just yeah. <laughs> on the train, like, what's your story? Tell me your story. Yeah, that's, now, this one I didn't see. Anything. Yeah, that was Albert Mazel's last film oh, Al Mazel's with last film, um, yes. a few other people and we uh, Skyped oh, in. Right. Yeah, I, I was Lynn, in London. Yeah, yeah, well, of course right, you right. were. <laughs> we Skyped in Lynn, uh, Tr- Lynn True, um, who is an amazing filmmaker, and she was one of the co-directors on that, too. And she's made incredible work as well. But, I mean, that was a very verite film. You know, there was, you know, which is the beautiful aspect that's of the Maisel Brothers and yeah. that whole direct cinema movement. Um, so, again, that goes to show more different genres that we, we try and show mm-hmm. in the series. And now what I'm wondering, too, Linda, what... I don't know if there was a certain thing, but what got you into documentaries? Obviously, it's your passion. It's something you're very passionate. Was there something, is there a story behind that? Or is it just something you've kind of have always loved? Yeah, you know, in film school, I had definitely taken documentary classes and really enjoyed it. Um, After, actually, before I graduated, I started uh, interning for Faith Hubley doing animation. And I was hand inking and painting for a really long time (laughs) on her last, I don't know, six or seven films before she passed away. And then I started working, um, you know, and I I think I've done almost everything but craft services within the film industry at this point. I remember apprentice editing in a 35 millimeter you know, narrative, you know, film. And um, I did sound work and music cutting and all sorts of stuff. Um, But it just sort of got a hold of me. You know, I really liked it in college. And then um, and then after, you know, doing this animation, I started working with this uh, documentary director as well. And it became what what's compelling for me is not just the stories, but it's also like detective work, trying to figure it out and and where's the story and how do I find all these pieces? How do I find all these archival things? You know, how do I, who's the right person to speak to on camera? You know, where it's total detective work in addition to creative, um, you know, putting it all together as a storyteller. So for me, it's really exciting. And that's such a cool way to describe it too. Like who wouldn't want to do that? Who wouldn't want to be like, Hey, I want to try my own film to, or at least watch them after you discover it's like detective work. And that it really is. It's like storytelling. It's, fact finding like that's why I said it appeals to me like my journalist side because that's essentially it's very it's a very similar set of skills and it's and if it's a in the hands of a talented filmmaker it's an interesting story um do you guys have anything else to add I think we're gonna be wrapping up somewhat soon I have like 11 what's the line 1100,000 questions (laughs) (laughs) Um, well done have we convinced you to to see this movie yet absolutely of course Tom sent me the email last night Yeah. (laughs) yeah Um, I have a question about uh, the process for filmmakers. Sure. Um, I don't know if it's called anything when filmmakers sort of almost pivot in the middle of the story and realize, mm. oh, my God, this is about um, a, a father else. who abused his yeah. kid. Was it capturing the Freedmans or right. something? Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, this isn't just about yeah. a birthday clown. This is more than that. I think, you know, you have to, to do it well, to make a documentary well, you have to be open 
pretty much all the time. And you have to be, you know, while you have your list of questions, right? You go into an interview with your list of questions, but you have to say, even then, like, okay, this is what this person's saying. But you know what? All of a sudden, I see something over here that she just mentioned, and that's so much more fascinating. And so you have to even let go of some of your questions to go down the path for that story, because that's so much more interesting than where you thought it was going to go. And then when you go into the editing room, it's like you have to, you know, it's very Buddhist. I've been spending time with the Dalai Lama film, but it's like you have to empty again because you think you know what's in what you've shot and what's in the can and what you have. But then you have to go into the editing room and look at all that footage again and be, and look at it with new eyes because maybe what's there is not what you thought. Um, you know, and then there's other things that there's horns going off and sound you can't use or, you know, something, you know, I would say a hair in the gate, but no one's really shooting film anymore, um, that something's out of focus or whatever it is. And it might not be usable even though you had your heart set on it so there's there's all of those moments in addition to you know the uh like the lance armstrong film did you see that that yeah. was yeah, yeah. great so it's you know alex gibney made it he's a masterful documentarian he's making this film about lance armstrong it's supposed to be the comeback tour and at one point all of a sudden it comes out that yeah he he did he did he doped, he doped. and you know, Lance was not coming clean with him. And he, you know, filmed, you know, he's usually not in his own movies, but Alex put himself in and, you know, confronted Lance on it and then turns into a whole other movie, you know, down that path. And those are absolutely fascinating moments, but you don't always get those moments. Um, But when they come, and they come in many different forms, like from the simpler things that I mentioned before to these bigger issues, you just always have to be open and and aware, you know, bring as much awareness as you can every day. That's such a great answer. I I have to ask (laughs) a follow-up question. That was a really good answer. (laughs) I have to ask a follow-up question because in my training as an academic, we are taught, here's the topic you're investigating. Here's what you're researching. And then... You have to go back to, as a doctoral student, I had to go right. back to my committee and say, well, here's the direction I'm going. Mm-hmm. And if they say yay or nay, the people sitting around the table, that determines the course of the project. Um, how accountable are you then to the forum follows funding, right? Uh, yeah. To that, let's say you take this in another direction and the people who are like, well, wait a minute. I gave my money under the presumption that you were going to be showing how wonderful Lance Armstrong is. Right. Well, I think it depends on the funders, where you're getting your funding from. And if they you know, are willing to work with you. I haven't run into it personally um, as that being that the film has changed so dramatically from what you pitched it or, you know, the submission process for the grant, right, to to get that funding that it's changed that dramatically. I mean, I think with documentaries that there's some, you know, element of like a living document that it will change a little bit as you pro- as you go along in the process. But to have such a big jump in it, um, I, th- I think you really need to depends on the funders. And I haven't run into that at this point uh, myself. It's coming. <laughs> Be prepared. Have that crisis plan. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we obviously have spoken a lot about docs here. We have this is the perfect time to do it. We have a lot of docs laying at the little Woo-hoo. right now. So I'm going to kind of give a list, a rundown, if anyone wants to check those out. Uh, the first one, actually, so it's going to probably be closing the day that you're listening to this, if, uh, which is Frank Zappa, or eat, the, eat That Question, Frank Zappa in his own words, uh, follows Frank Zappa, who I wasn't that familiar with, but a very interesting character. Gen- um, a genius. <laughs> Absolutely. And that closes August 11th, which, again, may be the day you're listening to it. If you listen to this, not the day it comes out. It may have closed. We apologize for that. Uh, we have two movies, two docs that are playing um, throughout the month of August, although they won't be playing every single day. Um, so you'll have to check the little.org for showtimes, but they are playing the whole month. Uh, the first one is Tickled, which is one of the most fascinating ones to me. Um, so it's this journalist in New Zealand. Um, he starts off, he, he wants to do this quirky story on competitive tickling, um, which obviously is where it gets its name. So it's like, okay, that sounds like a weird quirky doc. <laughs> that could be interesting. But what he finds is when he starts looking at this organization that was doing it, um, they start emailing him back like homophobic stuff, like really aggressive um, violent, like awful things. And, he, and they're like, stay away, stay away from the story. So of course, as a journalist, which he is, he's like, I'm going to look into this. So he looks into it. Um, and when he finds it, something completely different. Um, it's a story that is a lot darker than you'd think. It kind of touches upon like the, the darker, more like seedy uh, corners of the internet. Um, so it's very fascinating. It's uh, been labeled like an investigative thriller. Uh, kind of even re- reminded me of Spotlight a little. That's like a journalist, like following a story uh, that just turned, just t- 
transforms into something completely different. Um, so that's Tickled. That is playing. Uh, again, you have to check the little.org for showtimes. Uh, the other one is Under the Sun, um, which a lot of our little members uh, saw um, at the beginning of the month and had good things to say about it. Um, and this documents life in North Korea. So it's it's a fascinating look at it. And I read another review of it. I think it was, uh, it was a Toronto uh, website, maybe torontonow.com. That sounds familiar. That was saying, again, that was like one of the, it's like an investigative story that is just even beyond that. Like you wouldn't even, one of those stories that you won't believe what you're watching, right. um, which is why I heard about Tickled as well and Wiener, um, which is, is another thing I like about the docs. Like you watch it. It's yeah, just like, absolutely. this is true. Yeah. This is all true. This is really happening. Yeah. And you can't believe or that. has happened. Um, so that's under, uh, that's under the sun. Um, in September, wow, I'm like, I'm just realizing how many docs we have as I'm reading this all off. Um, in September, we have two more, uh, Gleason, which is that one that you said you saw or you, I haven't, no, I've seen the Sharon Jones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Gleason, I'll start with Gleason. Um, so this follows a former NFL player play for the saints. Um, and he is diagnosed with ALS and at the same time, his wife, uh, becomes pregnant. Uh, so it's, it follows that story, and this is one I hear as a tearjerker, uh, is what some of our staff had saw and said that. Um, it's a very good review so far, so that'll be a fascinating one. And the second one is one that a lot of people have asked me about. It's Miss Sharon Jones, which we're getting, and you did see that it, one. Yeah, and that's directed by Barbara Koppel. Yes, it is. Yeah, <laughs> and it's a, you know, it's about Sharon Jones, the Cannot musician, wait. who's this powerhouse. The music's fabulous, and it's about her, you know, um, going through her cancer treatments and coming back and you just see her and you want to hug her at the end yeah. and just, you know, you want to, again, you just want to take some of that strength. She's pretty incredible. So a pretty good lineup coming up. And if anyone's listening and if you know any docs or any films in general that you would like to see, um, you know, send me an email at scott at the little dot org. Um, I can look into it. I can't promise that we'll get it, but we'll certainly discuss it and and try to go for it um again the little.org for any show times uh do you guys have any last things you want to give any shout out like twitter handles any projects anything that we have millions of listeners i just so. want to again thank i want to thank you for what you do for the little i want to thank linda for what she does with this you know this documentary series i think it's just fantastic when i think about the little theater i think about one of the most significant cultural organizations in any city in the world that really makes this Rochester is such a unique place. I want to thank you both for doing that. It's a fun place to work. Huh? It really is. Very fortunate. Do you guys have anything to add? You want to give a How shout out? How can I to follow anything? that? <laughs> I know. Let me wipe my eyes. You have to first. compliment me, please. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I have something in my eye. Well, thanks <laughs> you, for spending time on a podcast to talk about documentaries. I hey, mean, this is one of my favorite parts of the job. I love talking about movies. I could do it. I, I could do like a, an episode that would last like four hours because for no one would listen to it. <laughs> Maybe we'll do that one time. We'll just go for It'll it. It'll play in North Korea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll just go for it. So I want to thank all my guests here. You guys have all been great. Uh, we have Linda Maroney, Tom Proietti, uh Todd Sedano. Uh, you could Follow, you, got, you don't want to give a social media shout yeah, Tom, out or not? Tom Proietti at TP Media on Twitter. Okay. At Linda Maroney, Twitter. I don't know. Do I follow you on Twitter? I should. No, right? I've been off of Twitter for about a year okay. and a half, um, and life has been grand and joyous. <laughs> <laughs> and now so, I'm telling people to follow Smartest you. guy in the room. <laughs> Google my name. Uh, you'll find an email address. Let's go old school. You can email me or pick up the phone and call me. Okay, sounds Great. good. It just felt like I should thank you in a way that we could have gain more followers but maybe then i realized he might not want that so (laughs) but thank you i appreciate it a lot Uh, movies in a microphone is brought to you by wxxi and the little theater remember it's always a good time to take a little break